0: everyone, and welcome to episode 223 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate uh, Network. I am James, joined again by Ryan and Paul. It's a lovely February day here in Wisconsin. It's like 40 degrees here, actually. Pretty good, actually. My yeah. patio doors. Yeah. How, how are you guys doing? I just got back from sledding for an hour and a half.
1: So living the oh, dream. Nice. Beautiful out. <laughs> I, I spent all day watching soccer. So that's that's what (laughs) I've been doing. Soccer and sleeping. I I took a nap after the early soccer game and then woke back up and watched the afternoon soccer game. Indeed.
0: Because don't they start at like 6 a.m. or something? Yeah, Liverpool
1: played at 6 this morning. And then Liverpool's two best players played in the African Cup of Nations final at 1 o'clock. And it ended up going extra time. And, like, everybody was just absolutely... ass dragging by the end of the thing like nobody had any energy left because 120 minutes of playing you know generally is going to do that to people so yeah but uh senegal ended up winning on a sadio Mane uh kick uh at the the end of the the kicks to end the thing so that was uh Mm. that was great Mo was crying. That was sad. But Sadio was happy. So, I, you know, like mm-hmm. there was no bad outcome here because you had Liverpool's you know, two best players were going head to head for this thing. So anyway, it was going to wind up. Somebody was going to win. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Big day for Senegalese football, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I, it I was they because
1: think. they had never won the AFCON. <laughs> so I didn't realize uh, that this was. This was like a big deal for them that they had uh, they had tried and tried and had never gotten over it. Whereas Egypt had won it a bunch, I think way back when. But Egypt has won it a number of times.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found some sports related thing to watch because this is kind of like the dead weekend, right? We're, we're Boys, waiting for never. the Super Bowl. Like the Badgers game on Saturday was just trash to watch. It was <laughs> it was bad. It was bad. So I uh, I don't know. I guess we're going to talk some baseball ish things. This week, uh, more more likely, uh, lots of labor stuff, and, and Paul's going to explain why mediators are useless, and that'll <laughs> be fun. Uh, but before we get started, I should say first, you can become a patron, support us over at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. As little as two bucks a month, you get question priority both here on this podcast and on the Packers reporting as eligible podcast, although it sounds like your recording schedule is probably a little bit more sporadic in the off season, right, Paul?
2: Well, yes, um, with no football to speak of, there's not much football <laughs> to speak of. So yeah. um, we'll, we'll probably do a post Super Bowl show and stuff will happen
0: and Aaron will maybe get traded and, you know, we'll show up for that stuff still be or around not. Or, or not Or not? you might not you know espn yeah. saying you know everybody's all on the same page they don't want to trade him so. yeah
2: well they don't want they, of course you don't they want to trade him. they don't want to trade him he's good at, does, he's good at football he,
1: you don't want to trade good quarterbacks that's, isn't he that's building true. a mansion in nashville where all the well, cool yeah, kids oh, hang that out was my favorite
2: thing of the week uh, yeah. that was so stupid so just really really really, really quick um <laughs> that led a, a bunch of rumors about the titans maybe trading for him but that, they, they can't for a lot of reasons, one of which is that Ryan Tannehill is guaranteed $29 million this year. Right. And so they that, way over the cap, way over the cap, just like the Packers are. There's no way to make that happen. And also just want to point this out, rich, famous people like live in Nashville. It's like a yep. cool hip spot to be. So th- they, they build houses in Nashville with some regularity and it doesn't mean they're going to play for a sports team there. Like lots of people <laughs> that have lots of money and are famous have houses in Nashville. That's it's, it's not definitely indicative Aaron of Rock anything vibe there. Yes, yeah, it totally yeah. is Aaron Rodgers vibe there. So yeah, that, that's that. It was stupid, and it was dumb, and it never should have been a story.
1: If yeah. he was really cool, he would have just gone to Branson instead. Oh
2: my God. <laughs> he'll, he'll end up there
0: eventually. He's on the, yeah.
1: He's yeah.
2: On the trajectory. So uh, just give him give him, right. him a little bit.
0: All right. So yeah, two bucks a month. You get that question priority on both podcasts, five bucks a month. You get some extra content. You get that minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson every month. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible preview mini pods, although I should take preview out of the scripting here and just say mini pods whenever they pop up. I know you did one on the Brian Flores situation and uh, why you think that that was an interesting lesson. Why you think that lawsuit's at least like a little bit messy. Yep. To, to um, say the least, there's
2: a lot going on on that one. With Brian Flores' side, I would say doing kind of a poor job on drafting their complaints, but also um, just the implications of getting Bill Belichick's text messages and what that could yep. mean for the the teams that are on the other side of that lawsuit. and Why it's not great for them, um, just. Yeah yeah quick quick and dirty version you don't what you don't want your text messages to end up in front of a judge or jury or newspaper <laughs> ever um that is where people say things that they
0: don't want people to read yep and uh we actually should mention too you did an additional milwaukee's tailgate mini pod this was, past week i was busy you you did you kept yourself busy but uh we're actually gonna talk about it a lot today and uh we're talking before and ryan's actually gonna post that for the non-patrons too so the patrons don't worry you you got that a little bit early you got about like five days lead time on that and uh we'll post that along with this episode just because we're gonna refer to it a lot but basically talking about uh you know the the owners basically throwing up their hands not offering a (laughs) counter-proposal and then just asking the government to help and and rule for them, basically, right? That's the gist of it. We've tried nothing and we're all out of ideas. Yep, yep. I I love that Simpsons reference, but yeah.
1: I would say (laughs) here that if you haven't listened to that yet, it's only 12 and a half minutes long and it has been posted on Sunday afternoon before this has gone up, I would just go back right now and listen to that, and then you'll be all caught up, and then we don't have to repeat all that stuff here <laughs> so that we, we're all kind of working on the same page. So just go to and go back an episode. It's 12 and a half minutes long. Go listen to that, and then we'll be waiting here for you to resume at that point.
0: I'll I'll just sit here silently for 12 minutes while you uh yeah do, 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 do. no it it's good hit pause here go listen to that and then come back because we're actually going to start with that this week uh as I mentioned the, basically yeah the, the old symptoms we've tried nothing and they they didn't offer a counter proposal to the players nope Asked the federal government to get involved, and uh, the players basically said no, because the quickest way to actually get this figured out is to keep negotiating. I feel like any sane person looking at this would probably say the same thing. Um, so they're not going to mediation yet. Uh, they're supposed to. I guess there's a big owners meeting this week that's like taking several days apparently, and and maybe after that we'll get a <laughs> counter proposal. Possibly, I don't hopefully. know. Yeah, hopefully. But, uh, Paul, I guess in a nutshell, uh, for those who who didn't go and listen to that uh, mini-pod, why are mediators useless, and why was this a dumb idea? (laughs) Um, They're useless because they're uh,
2: only—they're not magic, essentially. There is nothing they can do to get two sides who— don't want to talk to each other to talk to each other. Uh, mediators are useful only in a couple of very specific instances, which I talked about in depth on that. Um, but the big one is when one side is being very irrational, uh, when when it's good to have a third party sort of take a, a step back and and um, describe at a high level to both sides where this should be in terms of And I, I, when I say where this should be, I mean, in settlement, um, uh, mediators are if there's going to be litigation, they're not useful. But if if two t- if two sides are working towards negotiating a settlement, that's when you want this. And that's when you want a, a mediator show up and explain what each, each side is thinking to the other and get them sort of on a common path. And um, usually you go to them after prolonged, protracted negotiations, or when one side is being super rational. You got, you got a crazy guy who thinks his case is way better than it is. And you need somebody, a third party to be like, dude, your case isn't that good. You need to get Back into the actual realm of real negotiation here. Like, that's not this. Like, nothing's happened <laughs> yet in baseball. There has been no true, nego- no back and forth. Nobody's given and taken. And it hasn't even been that much time. Um, they've only met a few times. And um, it, this just looks like the owners putting something out there to to appear as if they've done something. And frankly, it worked. If you guys saw the AP's
0: tweets oh, yeah. on oh, how oh, they've this. Uh, I, I have issues with I, the Associated I, Press for. Several yeah. reasons. I, I expect John there, Heyman yeah. to put that out there. Like, right. You exactly.
2: Know, we, we all know he's the owner's boy. The, the Associated Press <laughs> should be better than that. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah. So if you didn't see it, basically, the Associated Press's reaction when the, the players uh, rejected it was basically this decision put spring training at risk. Whereas eh, it's more the lockout and the owners not doing anything, right?
2: And uh, uh, one thing I also quick mention, when I saw the news that someone had requested a mediator, I read too quickly. And I assumed it was the players (laughs) because the players are, of course, the side that has been locked out. Um, The owners asking for a mediator is ridiculous on its face because they can just end it. They can. They can just end the lockout whenever they want to (laughs) Mm -hmm. and let people come back. So uh, it makes it makes no sense. It is a complete and total PR move. Um, The one thing I forgot to mention on the podcast, I'll mention it here is and Eugene mentioned this as well. uh, It is something they might be using to set up an argument that they've reached an impasse. Uh, That's important. Just so you guys know, Um, if you are in labor negotiations uh, and you just can't come to an agreement, you actually everybody negotiates in good faith for a very long time and it stalls out. Uh, the owners can file for; it. they can declare an impasse and uh, implement the last best offer that they made. That is a thing in labor law, um, but it's hard. It's very difficult to do that. You actually have to have a lot of proof that you've negotiated in good faith for a long time. There has to have been some movements, and you can't just throw out you know hey, we requested a mediator they said no let's declare an impasse that doesn't work like that so
1: well and just um, to give people an idea there's history in this because this is what happened and what ended the 1994-1995 player strike was the ownership came in and said we're declaring an impasse and then that went to court the player said no 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 you can't declare an impasse here and just unilaterally uh in, put in place the the salary cap that they wanted nope. and Now, Supreme Court Justice, then federal judge Sonia Sotomayor came back and said, no, this is BS. You cannot do this. (laughs) And that was what finally got the ownership moving, where they said, okay, there is no path now to us just forcing a salary cap down their throats. We're going to have to now negotiate in good faith. And things got settled relatively quickly after that, once that had happened. Ownership was completely intransigent and was not going to move on that issue. And players were also saying, we will not move on that issue. And... Then, you know, finally, it, it took a federal judge to do that. The The question is, would they find fed a federal judge this time through who would shut them down the same way that Sonia Sotomayor did? I don't know. But I have skepticism based on the kind of federal judges that have been appointed over the past decade. Um, I, I have concerns it-
2: Fair, fair point, but um, the, the owners are also in a much weaker spot this time than they were then. It's one thing if it is a strike. Um, that gives the owners more leverage to do things like this when the players are refusing to show up. That is not the case here. Uh, it's going to be difficult to convince any judge um, that they are at the point where they can implement on an impasse when they're the ones doing the locking out. Um, it, it, the players can always go to a judge and say, we'll just play under the last contract. That's fine. There's no reason for you to implement a new
0: contract. We had one that was agreed Adam on Adam Wainwright already. actually said that on Sunday. Yeah. I oh. don't know if you saw that, Paul. Like Adam Wainwright said, at this point, if if they just offer us the last CBA, we'll get playing. Yeah. So.
2: so there's always that hanging out there. It's going to be um, the owners, if they were attempting to move towards an impasse with this move, that's really just playing games. It's probably not going to work. Um, And uh, it was it was just nonsense. It was just garbage. Like they just wasted everybody's time and, and money by proposing mediation at
0: this point. It's way too early for that. Yeah. Ryan, any thoughts on <laughs> what we've seen over the last week? Or I, I know you had some comments on the Adam Wainwright stuff too.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Adam Wainwright thing, he's just kind of a dummy and that was not a real smart thing to say. But then again, it really doesn't matter because it's not like that's an official bargaining position of the union. It's just one person right. giving their opinion. And I doubt seriously that it reflects the, the widespread opinion within the union and what the players are actually seeking here. So... I don't think that's really, I think it's kind of a, a bunch of nothing, but it's also just like, <laughs> I, I. the one thing I did say to somebody, um, and if you're listening, I think it was, oh, I can't remember and I'm not pulling up Twitter right now, but uh, <laughs> it was basically like, if this is what qualifies as like a gaffe by the union side, then they're doing pretty well. Because that's all things considered, that's not a that's not a uh, Dick Monfort level. Hey, we don't have a money gap. Sure not, not
0: Dick Monfort, Like so, yeah. at the actual
1: negotiating table, saying something on Twitter that's you know, kind of dumb and not yeah. really true yeah. is. There, I don't think there's any force of law behind anything that's tweeted. Thank God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we got a couple Patreon questions about uh, this entire. Uh, thing the last few developments here and specifically Paul's uh, mini pod so let's start with mark pod scarby uh, he's got two questions uh, the second one actually references the mini pod so I'll just start there so mark says if I'm understanding Paul's mini pod correctly if the players had called mediation that would have been a good thing but the owners doing it isn't can you explain that more because that seems like a fairly biased way of looking at it considering mm. both ways lead to mediation wouldn't mediation have been pointless either way Paul, uh, so I would say it, it's not a good thing if the players
2: would have done it uh, it's too it is definitely too early in the negotiating process for either side to have called for mediation um so it would have been still premature um it would have been slightly less stupid only because the players are the side that have been locked out um, they're the ones that are actually being prevented from doing anything that's the only that's really the only difference here in terms of of why I would, I I probably wouldn't have ripped the players quite as hard for it, but still it's um, it's way too early. It still would have been, I think a a PR play from the players' side at this point too. So um, would have criticized them as well. It's just more nonsensical from the owners because they're the ones doing the locking out, but no, if the players would have done it, it still would have been mostly pointless. So um, uh, that it, it's not a good, bad thing. It's a, this is not the time for mediation for, from either side. Just, it
0: looks a lot worse coming from the side that's doing the locking out. That's all. Sure. Like you can't be the one to start the work stoppage and then say the other side's being unreasonable. Right. That's kind of the gist of it. <laughs> That's the gist of it. Yes. And yeah. they haven't done any
2: real negotiating. Like right. if, if you want to claim that you have like gone hours and hours in a room together um, for, for like a week straight and haven't gotten anywhere then it might be time to bring in a, a mediator. And that's not the case here. It's just not. These meetings have gone like seven minutes. Yeah, it's they, they, they walk in. It's like it's like when the uh, the governor of Wisconsin calls for a, a special session of the legislature and the Republicans show up, gavel and gavel out, and then walk away. Like, that's that's all that's happened so far in the labor negotiations, too. Uh, it's, yeah, mediators not helping this.
1: Yeah, so first off, it was Allspurge that asked that, so... Shouts Mm -hmm. to Allspurge for bringing that up. Also, uh, the one thing that I go back to on this was something that Eugene Friedman said in his very good sort of breakdown of what this was right in real time, just right after it happened, when ownership pushed for mediation. And he said, there is a possibility in this that this might be somebody within ownership trying to get... Other people within ownership who are being less reasonable to hear a mediator say you're being unreasonable and to maybe get them to back down and start operating in some sort of a rational, good faith way, as opposed to the way that they're acting now. Possible. he, He said that that was like a possibility in that exists in this. And he also did say that there was, he had heard some things that there was some talk that there's dissent among ownership that in that direction, that there are some people with an ownership ownership that are looking at other owners and saying that this is, you guys are being unreasonable. Yeah. But it's way too premature for that to like to for that to actually make sense at this point. So yeah, they're, they're just not that far into the process because as we've been pointing out and ways, everybody has been saying they're just not negotiating because every time the players say something, the ownership just, you know, basically says, OK, but give us more. You you need to move more. Yeah. And that's not negotiating. That's just, you know, demanding that the other side give everything you want.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah. And, and this all happened after the owners basically declined to make a counter offer to the players one offer so far? Is that where we're at? I I forget even.
1: I mean, there were some exchanges of offers back in December and right before. I don't know what constituted like actual official right. offers and all of that, but there were some things that were exchanged back and forth. The one thing worth noting too is ownership did say they were going to counter and then came and said, eh, and No, not really. Not yeah. 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 Like that, yeah. that also, if you're talking about uh a situation where that you're gonna cause hard feelings and mistrust in a negotiation process saying you're going to do something and then immediately (laughs) not doing it turning around and saying "Eh, and we decided not to uh that's a pretty good way to to shut down the whole process and to get the other side to say screw you we're not gonna play your games
0: yeah yeah all right uh so mark's other question here the one he started with Uh, is basically, who is unhappy with the previous CBA? It seems like both Mm -hmm. players and owners are. So how in the world do we come to an agreement when neither side even liked uh, the existing agreement? Uh, Ryan, you want to take this one first? Like, How did we get here when nobody's happy?
1: Okay, so the players were pretty much immediately pissed off after the last negotiation came through. And it was Mm -hmm. like... I, that one, it was so strange. And agents were, were calling all of the reporters and all the reporters the morning after the last agreement was done in 2016. Uh, the player said was irate at what they had just done. And so th- that's kind of where this starts. And like, I remember reading from Buster only from Jeff Passon, from everybody who's connected within the game, Ken Rosenthal. All of them said we're headed towards a, a a shutdown in the next labor negotiation because the players are really pissed now. Why they allowed that to happen? Why they 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 did that? It sounds like they didn't actually know what they were doing when they did it, and it took yep. agents who actually could look at this and say, "Oh, we're completely screwed." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the genesis of this. And there have been rumblings that ownership is actually very much if they could take the exact agreement from 2016 and just put it back out there again in force right now, they would happily do that. Because if you look at the numbers that are out there and uh, there's a great tweet by Grant Brisby that James retweeted with some fun (laughs) snark about food opinions. Uh, which by the way your food opinion was correct anyway so I, <laughs> yeah whatever yeah. like that was that was just of course right, it is right yeah. to begin with that wasn't even a crazy food opinion but no. uh the the genesis of this is MLB revenues have continued to go up and player salaries have flatlined yep they are not going up and this all traces back basically to the moment the last Cba was signed
0: mm-hmm the luxury tax threshold just kind of flatlined too, right? It, that hasn't gone up at all.
1: Well, it's gone up very little, right? Or at least not proportionally. Yeah. And see, the thing was, this was not hard to figure out. I read that when I looked at the the last CBA. I'm not a lawyer. I'm, I'm a layman here. I looked at it, and as soon as I read that, like they were putting in all these stiff penalties for exceeding the luxury tax, I'm like, what the hell are the players thinking? Because they're gonna they're gonna treat this like a tax, or they're gonna treat it like a cap.
2: Yeah, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about um, how much money that would generate for small market teams and how much it would just be a salary cap, uh, mm-hmm. which is a stupid misunderstanding. It's very obvious that such things operate as salary caps. Um, and I just can't believe that they made that mistake. But that is the fundamental problem, yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. this goes back to that. So really, this is about the players wanting to change from the previous system, which is their right. People are going mm-hmm. to going to flip out about that on some level, and I think already are a little bit. They're saying, well, the players are the ones that want to change. Why should the owners give up what they won in the last negotiation? Because each set of negotiations is a new thing where you're coming in. Yeah,
2: that contract's over. This isn't arbitration where things build on um, mm-hmm. previously decisions that have been made. This is a, a new thing every time, and people are allowed to react to what worked and what didn't work every time. The other thing I'll say is that um, most negotiations between antagonistic parties, which is what we have here, um, are good when nobody likes them. Usually people have to <laughs> to have an agreement. And uh, if one side is super happy, then the other side didn't actually do as good a job as they may think they did. So um, almost all renegotiations of contracts that have ended between two sides like this enter with both sides, not liking parts of it. And it's not uncommon for that to happen. It doesn't mean that things won't get resolved. It's actually how things operate most of the time. And one of the fundamental problems with the NFL is that the owners are actually really happy with the NFL's contract. And that's a reflection of the NFL players union, which is a shitty union that does a crappy job representing their, their players. So, um, it's not it's not a big deal that both sides were unhappy with the deal and it's It's actually fine. It means both sides actually. did I mean, the players may think they got screwed, but generally speaking, that union does a much better job than the rest of the unions do and uh, mm. they'll get something done. It's not that big a deal that they're far apart. It's just um, it's going to be a fight to figure out who's going to be unhappy about what this time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I guess on the topic of the players just being super pissed about the the last agreement, our next Patreon question comes from Tim Brown, not Braun, as (laughs) I've learned from the Packers podcast. (laughs) Yes, indeed. so, So Tim's question here is, I've seen enough comments from people stating that if the owners had not locked out the players, the players would have gone on strike. They seem to think this is a good thing. I don't see any reason that either uh would be true all the out- lockout did was stop the players from getting contracts and keep owners from spending big with the luxury tax expiring so uh i guess paul what would a strike have accomplished or I- i've seen this too like if the lo- uh, if the lockout ended the players would immediately go on strike what-, what would that accomplish so i don't think that it's quite as clear as what's out there but here's
2: here's why everybody thinks that fundamentally um while the players could be playing without a contract, um, they ha- this just it turns into then um, an instance of the players needing to exercise leverage at some point to get things done on the negotiations. They, they can play without a contract, but they can't play without one forever. And um, at some point during the season, it becomes uh, a high leverage point of the players to mm-hmm. go on strike to force the owners into a situation where th- th- meaningful things will be canceled. We, we, uh, I, I know it's a little bit controversial in the lost World Series year, but that is a leverage point for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, so maybe they would have gotten a deal done. Maybe they would have all negotiated in good faith while the season was going on and things would have been hunky-dory. But uh, that is where things flipped to the players going on strike to get a better deal and. Um, that is entirely possible that that would have happened. Although we'll never know because a lockout happened and now they're negotiating under a lockout.
1: Yeah, so going back to 94, as Paul referenced, it's important to remember that that CBA expired in December of 1993 the Mm -hmm. same way that this one expired in in Mm -hmm. December of 2001. What happened was the players didn't strike and the owners didn't lock out and they just played without a CBA for that first Four months of the season. And then the players, at the exact moment that they had the most possible leverage over the owners, went out on strike. Yep. To get a new CBA done, to get ownership to force them to come to the table. Because the reality is players don't get paid for the postseason. That's when the owners make their money bonanza. They have make their money in the postseason. That's when they hit the jackpot for them themselves the players are making their money during the season. So at the point that they went on strike, they had already gotten through, you know, more than two thirds of the season and had yep. collected those paychecks. And what they were trying to do was to get ownership to come to the table and make an agreement so that they could get their postseason to be played. Right. That's what they were trying to do is say, that is. you guys are desperate to get the postseason played. So, okay, you come and, 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 and negotiate with us. This time, mm-hmm. it's substantially different for one big reason, and that was alluded to in the question here. Is this Mark? No, Tim, uh, Tim. this is Tim Brown. Okay. Tim Brown. This, is Tim Brown. Yep. this is Tim Brown. Because as Tim points out very rightly here, that the, the minute that this thing would end, uh, if they were to come back without a CBA right now, there would be no luxury tax. No tax. Yep. And that is a nightmare scenario for owners because – all of a sudden, now, they are left to their own devices without some big thing hanging over to restrain them mm-hmm. from spending money on guys the way they would normally. you know. And like
0: two-thirds of the free agent class still out there. so yeah, right. You
1: know? <laughs> right. That would be a, a nightmare scenario for them. And they're basically doing this to save themselves from themselves. <laughs> yeah, so that they don't have sure. to compete with each other for these guys in a in a, an environment that doesn't contain a luxury tax.
2: All true. I do think it is fair to point out, though, that the players do gain a lot of leverage if they play without a CBA for for as the playoffs approach, things get mm-hmm. dicey for the owners. That is that is true. Right. So um, it it is. I still think it would have been a good idea to do some good faith negotiating while this while still. Like no CBA was here, but uh, at some point the players do gain some significant leverage during the season. That is that is an undeniable
1: fact. Well, it was pointed out, though, that they ended up playing the entire 95 and 96 seasons without CBAs. It wasn't until I think after the 96 season that they finally got a new CBA in place and the players Mm -hmm. could have gone out on strike at any point during that, but didn't. Because ownership was not pushing the idea of we have to have a salary cap. Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. I think a half hour of labor talks probably enough. So <laughs> we can uh, set it there for for this week at least. We do have other Patreon questions to get to about actual uh, baseball things. Well, this one next one's kind of a. Uh, I guess, labor related from Dave, Darren Jones. (laughs) Uh, One of two, but we'll we'll tackle this one first. Darren's question here is players not on 40 man rosters still expected to report spring training. As we record this, this is about 10 days away from that reporting date. If the Brewers fielded their best team of players not on the 40 man roster, who would be in that starting lineup? Ryan, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a question of do you want to go with like the top prospects throughout the system who aren't on the 40 man? James Anderson and I took a question like this on the Patreon, the last Patreon podcast. Um, There was basically who would be the, the top guys as far as prospects go and how would you line them up that way? I don't know if that's exactly the way this question like if you were trying to field a team that could win. Now, you wouldn't put Hedbert Perez on it, right? Like Hedbert Perez is not ready to compete with the best players that aren't on 40-man right. rosters. So right. it's, a, it's kind of a different question in that way. So you have to be a little bit flexible on it. Um I think that you would just kind of end up with a lot of guys who are at AAA and are on minor league contracts. That would be it, it's a boring answer. But I think yep. that's pretty much what you'd end up with is a lot of guys who are in AAA on minor league contracts and
2: a smattering of double A's who are just about ready to go up. But that's kind of it.
1: Yeah, like you might yeah. see Bryce Terang because he's, you know, he might be ready at some point this year. And we have a, a good question coming up about him. So I'll wait on that. But <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess Paul, who would be on your pick list? (laughs) That's a big shrug for (laughs) those of you who don't have access to the video. Uh, Everybody but Keston. (laughs) (laughs) He's on the 40. So that's not, yeah. He's on the 40. He's on the 40 for now. He may get DFA'd at some point, but yeah, yeah, he's on the 40 for now. (laughs) My answer would literally just be everybody who's not on the 40 who's a AAA. So that's all right. They're
2: the the closest. That's why they're AAA.
0: Right. All right. Uh, Next question Jay Google uh about a, a big uh momentous occasion in the life of andy shaft <laughs> this week uh what are your thoughts on the brewers adding pedro alvarez and ricky weeks to the organization is there anyone more excited about the week's news than andy do you think paul no there's not um
2: <laughs> we've got a few close seconds but they're at they're absolutely is not and um I, I mean it's fine i I don't didn't know Ricky Weeks was interested in such things. To be perfectly honest, didn't know he'd been working his way up to this or anything like that. So, yeah. um, it, it it's nice to see. Um, but uh, I don't have a big opinion because when this showed up, it was actually quite surprising. <laughs> 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 didn't know Pedro Alvarez or Ricky Weeks were were doing coaching or anything like player it. development, player or whatever you development. Want to call it. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, cool. I guess uh, I'm I'm cool with it. But we'll also wait to see results. Uh, uh, I'll, also this too. Um, the way Ricky Weeks played did not seem like he was overcoached in particular in any facet (laughs) of his game. Like not 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 to disparage him, but you know swung very violently, very very tough on on the wrists. Um, not not a great fundamental defensive player. Um, maybe good for power development, but uh, but who knows? Uh,
1: We'll see. Well, he got a lot better after he worked with um oh the guy who came over from the Mets. Why am I completely blanking on he was uh he was with the Mets before he came over here? He was with the Yankees in the 70s. <laughs> uh, why nope, need more. we Sorry. had a coach, a guy came over and coached him at Willie Randolph. Thank you. Willie Randolph? Yeah, Willie uh, Randolph. He got a lot better after he worked with Willie Randolph. Um yeah. I'll just say about this. It's it's interesting, and I'm not shocked about weeks because Weeks was always a very serious baseball player. There are some guys that it's more yeah. you know, jokey, fun like uh life of the party sort of thing. Weeks is a very serious dude about his baseball and just a, a kind of a, a generally a very serious dude. Um and so I'm not shocked about the fact that he would would go into this sort of thing. And I'm also not shocked that Pedro Alvarez would end up here either. I mean, the guy had graduated from vanderbilt like he actually got a degree from vanderbilt I, I understand so like that is you know if if you're doing that you're doing something right and he is clearly like a, a smart thoughtful person he'll fit into this sort of idea of sort of bridging the gap between your nerds in the front office and your right. players on the field like he is he is, I think, and I think that's what this is. If I'm reading yeah, it correctly, yeah. that's what this role is: is to be bridge guys. These are guys to take the what's coming out of the the nerd office in the front office and <laughs> give it to the players in a way that is uh, digestible and actionable, and that they can that they can relate to. And this has been a very important thing that has been happening in MLB over the last decade. Like this goes back now ten yeah, ish years. It's where Dave Bush started actually in the Red Sox organization as the, the the conduit of information and now he is one of the most respected uh pitching coaches in the game for the Red Sox. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean you saw it with like Gabe Kapler, too, right? Like mm-hmm. a long term big league guy with a lot of cachet in the clubhouse who uh kind of understood how to code switch or translate that to to guys, you know. Um So I I think it's interesting because I think both Pedro Alvarez and Ricky Weeks kind of had the same hitter profile, right? And a lot of people might look at it and be like, (laughs) oh, it's just a bunch of guys who strike out a lot. We don't need that. But, um, you know, they're both long-term tenured big league players who, you know, some guys grew up watching or, or they're familiar with and, you know, can hopefully... Like you guys said, uh, kind of translate, so to speak, that that nerd speaker from the nerd office, like Ryan said, I really like that. I'm probably gonna <laughs> steal that, um, and and kind of instruct that to to guys too. So um, yeah, I I mean aside from. Me also loving Ricky Weeks and and thinking it's cool that you know anytime too you can bring back somebody who had played for the organization and have them serve in an organizational role. I think that goes yeah. a long way too, right? In terms of like we'll take care of you after your playing career is over. You know, if coaching is a thing you want to do, we'll we'll find a spot for you. I think that's very cool.
2: Yeah, as well. it's definitely something you mention. Um, you know, at least in passing when you're courting free agents and trying to get people, trying to get guys guys to sign.
0: Like we have a loyal organization. We get people around for forever. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, and uh it's just cool to kind of see, you know, especially one of the guys from that last generation of brewers who were really integral and in kind of turning things around, right? Like Ricky was one of the first prospects to come up really and kind of end the doldrums of uh, the early two thousands too. So it's kind of cool to see that come full circle too. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh Next Patreon question is actually Darren Jones. Second question. Uh He's asking if the brewers were open to trading away any player in their organization, Including anyone on the 40-man roster or current top prospects, rank their eight top eight most valuable trade chips. Who I've done some homework here. Uh, so I did, I did you, a little you bit. You got this? Yeah. Okay, cool. So he's got a note, a disclaimer here. Valuable meaning the largest expected trade return given all factors, including years of control, projected cro- cost, etc. He asked for eight because the top three seem pretty obvious, but
1: curious of your thoughts after that point. So Ryan, you got your list ready to go. What did you, what you got? Well, I have a list ish. I think Paul and I kind of did the same sort of thing here. So when he talks about the top three being pretty obvious, I think he's talking about the three aces, right? You're talking about Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, or is that?
2: I actually wasn't sure what he meant by the top three because uh, <laughs> that's I, I th- fair. Uh, that's but fair. Either. But um, well, what about like Adamus?
1: Well, I think he fits in a. Maybe slightly tier below. I think there is a clear number one here. And I think it's the combination of performance, at least for last year, and the fact that he is on a insanely team-friendly contract for the next five years. If the that Brewers being, want it.
2: That being Peralta.
1: That's Peralta, yeah. He's okay. not the best player here. Uh, that would be Burns, probably. But mm-hmm. he is the most valuable because he signed this contract that now makes him an incredible asset, you know, because of the way that the money is tied to it now. So I think he's number one. And then I would say for two and three with three years of control left on both of them, as long as the CBA doesn't change that, and it's not going to change that. (laughs) um, I would say it's kind of a coin flip between uh, Burns and Woodruff. I would actually lean a little bit Woodruff in this case. And the reason I would lean slightly Woodruff is because I think he's going to cost less. I think okay. Burns is going to get more expensive <laughs> because of that Cy Young. And so from a – well, that's how front offices do this stuff. Now. No, can,
2: I, agree, I agree with you, but I also think Burns is actually better than Woodruff. It's not just one of those things where he won a garbage based on win Cy Young Award. So um, a matter of how much more expensive. But, yeah, it's kind of a coin flip, but um, I would put Burns number two. Just I do think he's a better pitcher than Woodruff
1: is. I would say he's a better pitcher than Woodruff, but the distance is not – far enough to make up, I think, what the cost difference is going to be over the next three years because Burns has that sigh. All right. Fair enough. And then after that, yeah, I think that, the yeah. name the name that you mentioned comes up next, and I would have him as the clear number four here, um, probably actually really more belongs in that group of, of top four, yeah. and that would be Adamas because he still has three years of control left, and... Right. He does have three years of control left, right? I believe so. I think so. Or at least more than a couple. Or,
0: you know, um, has,
2: There's enough control left that he's definitely the next person on the list.
0: Yeah, he's he's controllable and he's cheap and the production's there, right? And the production so, was really outstanding.
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think in the next group after that, you're looking at... And it might actually be Urias as being... Better than this. I think it would depend on the team because he has more control and really did have a good season last year that people are sleeping on way yep. too much. And then Hater comes in, I think, at this point because he's limited to the only having two years. And because in those two years, what are you likely to get? 100 on the very top end, 140 innings, something that like that, 270 inning seasons. Yeah. I mean, yes, very, very good innings, probably, but. He's a reliever, so the the overall impact is going to be blunted a little bit that way, and you know he's also expensive. Like yep. you're not going to get him for cheap. You're going to be paying him, you know, probably ten million plus each year. Yep. So, so so far, is so far this Devin... is my top okay. six too.
2: So this is where I yeah. went into prospects at this point. Oh, but
1: where's
0: where's Devin Williams though? If if you're Devin looking Williams at the is bashing type. his fist into a wall somewhere. I mean, yeah, but. If you're looking for closer type stuff and not paying 10 million a year, is he more valuable than Hater? Uh, so, if he
2: hadn't hit a wall, I, I want to actually see him pitch, <laughs> literally. Um, well, at, after after doing that, I mean, he yeah. probably is still super valuable. But I, I, I wonder a little bit. That's all. Also, that incident is not without its uh, peripheral red flags, since it's weird. Mm-hmm. So that too.
1: Yeah, there's that too. Um, I'm still wondering the identity of the wall he punched. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so so there's that. I wouldn't go prospect quite yet. And I think that a part of that is because I don't have you know the greatest, uh, I, I don't have the highest respect for where the, the prospects rank at this point. I, mm. I think you could make a case for Ashby here, but I think there's enough reliever risk with Ashby that I would actually go lower here. I think because he still has enough control left. Um, He's a guy that is still at, oh, let's see. Uh, He's just over three. So he has three years of control left at this point. Um, Yeah. I had Ashby Lauer, so (laughs) there you go. Okay, you had Ashby Lauer. I think, yeah, you could probably put Ashby in there. I think... I think Lauer is clear there. I think once you get past that, you're looking at Devin Williams, Lauer. You could have some teams that are really sky high on a certain prospect, too, like would really, really highly value, uh, say, Joey Weimer. That could be a, a thing, too. Yep. So I think a lot of it comes down to what does the team you're trading with value? Who who is their list? Because it's less about like what your list is and it's more about what the other guy's list is. So yeah.
0: All right. I lost track. Did we do eight? We did. I feel like we did eight. I think we're there. We did eight. Cool. Fulfill the Patreon obligation. I love it. All right. Uh (laughs) next question uh comes from uh Cohen Brockhoff saying, Hey guys. Kyle Schwarber's name is being floated around as a potential Brewer's target. Lots of power, but does he have defensive value? And would the Brewers <laughs> give him multiple years at 12 or 15 million annual average value? Thank you. Uh, Paul, you laughed, so you get this one first. Well,
2: so I laugh partially because Kyle Schwarber's defensive value is actually somewhat controversial. Um, I, <laughs> it obviously is. looks like a guy who's not good at defense. Um, and I think he looks like a quintessential people the guy that Milwaukeeans love, a little hefty, maybe should move to first base, big power <laughs> bomber. However, defensive metrics actually kind of love Kyle Schwarber and have for a while for reasons that's only they can explain to you. So, he's got um, a decent arm. I, a lot a of arm, it is the arm. A lot of it's the arm, but you know, you would think the way he moves that that would rob a lot of his defensive value, but it doesn't seem to. Um and in Miller Park specifically, uh, it's not a big outfield, especially in the corners, and especially if they maintain a good center fielder. Um, So he actually does have defensive value. He has a gun, um, and he is good enough out there and takes good enough routes that he's not actually a disaster, even though you might think he looks like a disaster. So yeah, he kind of <laughs> does. Um, And his bat is certainly good enough to hold down a corner in Miller Park. So it's not a bad idea. I like Kyle Schwarber kind of a lot, probably more than most people, and <laughs> I would like to see him.
1: Yeah, I mean, Baseball prospectus's FRAA had him at 6.5 runs above average last year. So wow. he's not that bad. I would say that anything, if if you're going to get involved in Kyle Schwarber, you really need a DH. Not necessarily that he can play there, but that you can shuffle people through there yeah. and move other stuff around. You know, giving, say, uh, Lorenzo Cain extra days off, maybe as a DH allowing tyron taylor to come in and then that opens up some more space in the corners that maybe he would have been playing in those sorts of things and and schwarber also would probably dh some too in that case and it does sound like that's going to happen whenever this gets settled it's like the one thing both sides agree on they just you know the owners still want the players to give something up for it yep uh, of course uh,
0: no i i've loved schwarber for a long time too and i it's my dream to have that uh come up uh, but I don't know. It We'll see if it fits. He, he does kind of strike me as like Avi Garcia-ish defensively, right? Both are kind of guys where uh, you don't really expect that to um, produce a, a good defensive outfielder, right? Well, yeah, <laughs>
2: except Avi's actually fast. And Trevor's yeah, not actually fast. He just is magically yeah. good at defense. So a yeah. little, little different, but a similar profile, yes.
0: Magically good at defense. I like that.
1: Well, a lot all can right. be added by getting good jumps on baseballs. If you're Absolutely. good yeah. at getting jumps on baseballs, it helps a lot. That's a big part of why Lorenzo Cain, yes, he's fast, but he gets fantastic jumps. It's a the massive reason. Mike Cameron wasn't overly fast in his career, right. but was one of the best defensive center fielders of all time. And that was because he had just insanely good jump off the ball yep. instincts and reads and whatever you want to call it. He He was incredibly yeah. good at that. Tracking balls yeah. is
2: hard and yep. being good <laughs> at it is a skill.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. Uh, just a couple more Patreon questions to go to. And I know Paul has a, a quick cutoff here, so he may not be here for the end of this. So I'll I'll jump to this one because I think uh, this is a fun one. Adam Post asking, how do you think David Stearns is spending his time during the lockout? Any taking up of new hobbies? I don't know. Maybe he's scouting for apartments in <laughs> New York, Paul. What do you think? <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he's always scouting for new apartments in New York.
2: Um, <laughs> uh, I don't... I don't. Rich people spend their time in weird ways. Um, <laughs> and I, I, David Stearns actually seems like a slightly more normal rich person than a lot of rich people. But I feel like a lot of rich people spend their free time doing things that they think rich people do for fun. Um, like, if you... <laughs> Just to explain, just to exp- give an explanation, of what that is, like it's the old Je- Carlos Gomez thing, right? Jeff Bezos People just yeah. Jeff Jeff Bezos just bought a boat that was built in Europe that was too tall to fit under a bridge that <laughs> yeah. it needs to go under. So then he paid the government to dismantle the bridge to get the boat out. And uh, you, you know, you don't you don't need a boat that big. You, you're just. <laughs> You're just a guy. You probably have friends and like to throw parties, but you can have a really big party on a boat that fits under a giant bridge. So <laughs> that, that, that's what I mean. And so you are not like these people, and they are uh, mostly psychopaths. So <laughs> yeah. th- there's really no way to tell. Hopefully, David Stearns is uh, having a more normal time and using his money wisely and having normal person kind of fun and not psycho rich person fun but who knows he's probably having psycho rich person fun
1: now my impression <laughs> of him is, is a complete workaholic I guarantee you he is spending this time working on projects that like had been kind of backburnered and were priorities. running less a a or That's something. probably yeah, there's there's the spreadsheets case. involved yeah, yeah. yeah. like he's I, I nerd, would man. I would bet money on that
0: yeah <laughs> Oh, man. I I just hope he's, like, Googling the potassium content in Kiwis like Carlos Gomez did because he thought that's what rich people <laughs> talked about. So, oh, man. All right. Uh, one last Patreon question from Jay Google, of course. Uh, so Ryan kind of mentioned this earlier before. Are you guys surprised at Keith Law's top 100 prospects list for the Brewers, Bryce Terang as the top prospect? So Ryan, prospect guy, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit surprised, but not shocked. People do like Bryce Tereng, and I think there's a big difference between Bryce Tereng as a fantasy prospect, where he probably doesn't have a ton of value, and as a baseball prospect, where he does because he's an incredible defender, probably with a lot of flexibility, though that hasn't even really been tested yet. He's primarily played shortstop because he's so good at it. There's been no need to say, okay, you need to go play second base, too. There just hasn't been a call for that, at least not yet. But what I found interesting and always this is always the thing whenever you're looking at these things, read the write ups, read the write ups if you have access, because Mm. one thing that Keith Law said in his really jumped out at me and I was really kind of floored by it that uh he said, yeah, OK, Terang hit just six homers last year, but has more power than that with 15 to 18 homer upside, needing mm-hmm. to add a little more strength, but mostly just to learn t- uh, to put the ball in the air more often. He can hit the ball hard enough, but his ground ball rate spiked over 50 percent when he reached triple A. Wow. That if 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 you're telling me that Bryce Terang has potentially like what he's saying, 15 to 18 homer upside. Yeah. It, that's always a hard thing to, to gauge with what's the baseball going to be like. We don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but if that's, if that's tr- a
0: lucky year from 20 yeah. home run power, that's crazy. But if that's, that's true. That's like the first time I've ever heard that from him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If that's true about Bryce Tarang, and I've kind of wondered a long time about this, but we haven't seen it. So I get poo-pooed, and rightfully so, because until you see it, you can't say it's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But – if that's true, then, yeah, Bryce Tereng is a future uh, starter at shortstop in the big leagues. Now, is he a future starter that you want for a, a good contending team? Maybe, maybe not. Like, you could probably fit him in there. Uh, so that's that's pretty exciting. The, also, we should mention that he also had Sal Frelick at 88. Tereng was 85, and Frelick was yep. 88 in his top 100. He did not. Put Joey Weimer on there, and I'm going to be very interested to read. His list is supposed to drop for the NL Central on Monday. So I'm going to be Mm -hmm. very interested to see what he has to say about that because Weimer is the guy that everybody's excited about now. So he is one of the most talked about prospects in the minors, and we got him. So that's nice. It is nice to see that (laughs) that we finally have a hitter that is discussed like this. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. No Garrett Mitchell, though, in that top 100? No. No, no, no. Mm, nope. Garrett Mitchell's going to have to, like, fix some things before he can sure. come back on there. That's fair.
0: All right. That'll do it for questions this week. Uh, reminder, 2 bucks a month at patreon.com slash tailgate. Gets you question priority here. Uh, we also take Twitter questions, too, if you want to send them to us that way. That's at mketailgate on Twitter. You can also uh, send them directly to us. Ryan's at Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I'm at James L. That's James with a Y in the middle, like Lance Nix, because my parents are cool like that. Uh, We'll also shout out new patrons here on the program every single week. And also, we would appreciate it if you leave us a review and a rating for this podcast. As a reminder, as an added incentive, Paul will literally read anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Uh, That's on Apple Podcasts. But while you're there, hit subscribe on apple podcast or spotify pocket casts wherever else you listen to us hit that subscribe button uh really helps us out as well and you'll be sure to never miss an episode here as we talk about all the labor fun over the next few weeks here and hopefully get to talking about baseball soon uh so that'll do it for this week uh as always stay well everybody thank you for listening we will see you next time here on Milwaukee's walkie's tale